Pound the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. That's right, we brought you the best sports media app. Now we're bringing you the best sports book and casino. Now live in Ontario, the Score Bet offers a safe and secure mobile sportsbook experience with both pregame and in-play markets. But best of all, it's integrated into the Score and our content to give you the easiest and most seamless sports betting experience. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Ontario only. Must be 19 years of age or older to participate. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I am joined by fellow co-host Joe Wolfon, who's drinking some sort of delicious looking, is that just a regular iced coffee or what is that? Chocolate That's a regularized coffee, my friend. Oh, you know, when I when I drink my hot coffee, I barely prefer any milk, cream, anything like that. But I do like a well-creamed, well-colored iced coffee. And yours looks like it's got the perfect ratio there. So kudos to you if you made that yourself. Anyway. I mean, thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. delicious. Yeah, it looks, looks good. That's, uh, you know, summertime hips and I just like can't do the hot coffee anymore. It's, you know... the the switch gets flipped and it's iced coffee all the time. I still do both, but I do obviously more iced coffee in the summer. I'll actually freeze my hot espresso from the day before that I had in the afternoon. And then the next day end up with uh, frozen espresso. It's pretty good. Wow. You want to talk some, you want to talk some ball? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what we're here to do? Yeah. I mean, we can, we, I could probably go half hour on coffee. Anyway, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, I was going to say route the Celtics. They kind of did. They were in control for most of the night. They blew a 16-point lead and ended up trailing for a brief few minutes in the third quarter. Respond in kind to start the fourth quarter with Steph Curry on the bench and end up running away with it anyway to take a 3-2 series lead with a chance to win their fourth championship in eight years on Thursday night in Boston overarching thoughts you see anything schematically that you thought was interesting or different are we at the point in this series where it is what it is schematically and now it's just about execution what did you see in game five that you found interesting yeah weirdly i don't think that equilibrium has happened just yet i actually think boston's defense was a little bit different in that game five than it had been like they definitely made more of a point of getting up on the Steph pick and rolls like that had started to change in game four, but this was even more exaggerated in terms of how high their bigs were playing. And sometimes they were just outright blitzing him. Like they wanted to limit Steph and they did, you know, I don't think that was the whole story in terms of him going over nine from three. Like he clanked some good looks, but you know, there was also the possession where he literally in mid air, got spooked by Robert Williams jumping out at him and had to pass the ball off. He got blocked from behind by Grant Williams because like, yeah, that was just good pursuit from Grant Williams chasing him over the screen. But it was also because Steph hesitated before letting that shot fly. You know, we think of him as having that lightning quick release, but because Rob Williams was up high, he hesitated and Grant Williams was able to get that block. So I think they were successful in limiting him, but I also think we saw And, you know, the whole conversation that we had about what you give up when you sell out to try and keep a lid on Steph's individual production is you start to see a lot more of the slips and the four on threes and the 
things to get other guys on the Warriors going. And I think that's how you want. I mean, this game, once again, like every game the Celtics have lost in the series was lost for them at the offensive end. I think every game they've lost in the series, they've been under a point per possession. So that's more what's going on. But I also think in large part, like the way the Warriors were able to overcome a really poor individual performance from Steph Curry was other guys, you know, stepping up to support him. And and a lot of that, I think, had to do with how Boston had changed its defensive coverage. The Warriors won a, game, a final swing game in which they got 16 points on 24 individual possessions from Steph Curry. To your point, yes, the, the Celtics changed some things up. And in addition to Steph just missing some good looks, you can't deny the fact that they did aff- negatively affect his individual offense. But like, I would love to be a fly on the wall, not even in that locker room, because maybe they, they wouldn't have talked about it like that. But I would love to kind of know what goes on in someone like Ime Udoka's head or even a Celtics player when they're sitting there thinking like defensively what they wanted to do Curry wise pretty much worked right again they imagine if someone had told the Celtics you're going to hold Steph Curry to 16 points on 24 possessions tonight they for the most part I think would be like well we got this and we probably win it in a row when we were talking off air as much as via text I was teasing you for being wrong I completely agreed with you when you said to start the fourth quarter like they need Steph to pop off now in the fourth if they're still going to win this though it's like kind of like okay good game through three quarters you need Steph to be Steph at some point in this game to win it and then to both of our surprises the Warriors I think opened that fourth quarter with Steph on the bench on a 10 nothing run to yep. take control of the game again and never relinquish it so it was it was a super interesting game from that perspective because the Celtics got to feel like they let one get away. And I know that's, that is too simplistic of a way to look at it because, look, the Warriors also defended well. Like, there's a lot more to the game than just how did Steph play. But, again, ah, uh, you hold Steph to 16 points on 24 possessions in a 2-2 series in the finals. There's got to be at least a piece of you that thinks, man, we let one get away. Yeah, especially because, I mean, they had that terrific third quarter and Tatum in particular had that terrific third quarter only to turn around and just have an absolute dud of a fourth and Which, you know he basically played the entire second half and I think maybe that caught up to him I'm not gonna quibble with the decision to like play him the entire second half I mean this is it's game five of the finals right it's as pivotal as games get like I'm not gonna question the decision to run him out there for as long as Udoka did but I, I do think like he, he seemed to wear down. And I, I, a lot of credit for that does go to the Warriors' defense. And I think, you know, Jeff Van Gundy was noting this on the broadcast, which I thought was very astute in terms of the way the Warriors are defending him and like really trying to take away his right hand. And I think it's super interesting like what that's taking away and also what it's opening up because he's really comfortable getting to that sidestep three going left, but he's much less comfortable driving the ball going left and like his drives have just not looked very fluid at all which is why his inside the arc scoring I feel like has been a total mess this entire series like do you know what he's shooting from two-point range in this series like without looking it up can you guess shooting from two-point range in this series I'd assume it's terrible man like he's been bad inside the arc 31 percent on twos and he's at like 45. Have you have you seen the new Batman yet? Because right now I feel like uh, when the penguin goes, "Come on, what are you showing me that for?" I'm looking at something just so ugly. Why would you tell me that? 31. percent I thought you were gonna you were gonna be the, the the Riddler scene where he's like, "No, no, no, this is not how this was supposed to go." Well, for the Warriors, it is. Well, that's that's the thing, and he's shooting like 45 percent from three in the series. Like it's it's a really interesting sort of juxtaposition where. 
he's been lighting it up from deep and still on balance, I would say, has had kind of a subpar offensive series because he can't do anything inside the arc. Um, so I think part of that is is the way that they are aggressively sitting on his right hand. And I think part of it is we mentioned this. I can't remember whether it was after like the first two games when we talked or after game three, but just about how the Warriors have done a good job after sort of figuring out how they want to defend the Celtics in the first couple of games. Were they showing and recovering? Were they giving the switch, you know, with guys like Stefan Poole and like, were they helping early? Were they helping late? Like, I think they've settled on helping late and the backline help. And especially Draymond, I thought in game five with those backline rotations where those guys are able to kind of penetrate a lot of the time and get what seemed to be like fairly clear driving lanes. And then Draymond is just like appearing at the rim at the last second. And Looney has been good about that too, but like they're not getting a chance to see that early help. Like Tatum, especially in the first couple of games, I felt like was picking apart the early help with some just like on point skip passes. And I feel like a lot of those opportunities have dried up now where he's having to make like much more on the fly reads and I think that's what he and especially Jalen Brown really struggle with is like the last second adjustments and like making those snap reads when there aren't the built in looks that come from early help. Um, so I thought like, like, Draymond was magnificent defensively in this game, it was much better offensively, which we can talk about. You know, Wiggins as the primary on Tatum was tremendous. What more can we say about Andrew Wiggins? Like, I'm sure we can, we will have a lot to say, like yeah. we can pivot there, but um, I just thought you know, like schematically, I think that's the sort of, that's the sort of gambit that the Warriors have landed on is like not showing as much early help, showing a lot of late help and it can burn them at times. Like they collapse to like a sometimes ridiculous extent on some of those drives. And there were like points in the second half where they, they overhelped on Tatum and Brown drives and wound up giving up just like wide open above the break threes. Now they're giving them up to like Marcus Smart and Al Horford, and maybe they're just willing to live with that, but they don't need to be sending four bodies to the rim when one of those guys like driving baseline. You know what I mean? Like two bodies usually is going to be enough, especially on Tatum, who's like not that good an at rim finisher. But I think also they managed to force those guys into a lot of turnovers, and that's been sort of a bellwether for the Warriors, right? Like if they're for forcing the Celtics into a lot of turnovers, usually they're winning. And that's not just because of their defense. It's because, like we keep saying, they haven't been great in this series of scoring in the half court, but they've made a lot of hay when they're able to turn the Celtics over and get out in transition. And they did that a lot, obviously, in game five. Now, a couple things you mentioned that I want to touch on. Um, Tatum in the fourth quarter. I do wonder how much of his fourth quarter struggles in general might be the substitution pattern fatigue with his second half minutes over the course of the season, or I don't know whether it's something else, but if you look at his fourth quarter scoring, but more so his actual like clutch time scoring, like it's been awful percentages, low turnover rate, high. He's been straight up bad in crunch time. As for Jalen Brown, you remember the last time we we did an episode, I was actually praising him for what I thought was much better decision-making through the first three games of the finals in comparison to the playoffs, the rest of the season, his career as a whole so far. And I was saying it's almost like there was some sort of development as like a playmaker, or at least as a decision-maker between the end of the conference finals and the start of the finals because he it was a pleasant surprise to me through the first three games. Man, 
a lot of that was undone just in game five. And I don't know what, like I, I was texting you. I think I tweeted it too. I was joking around that the first two and a half quarters of this game, it looked like the Celtics were playing drunk on offense. Like Jalen Brown was turning it over, fumbling it. There were, there were plenty of times where Jalen Brown lost control of the ball and then didn't get docked with a turnover because they, the Celtics retained possession or he went and got it himself, but he was fumbling it on the catch. He was losing it off his foot. Like it was a very, very strange game for Jalen Brown even more so than his usual struggles when it comes to ball handling and turning it over. It's almost like, yeah, like the regression hit in one game for him when it came to that. And even with the decision-making and like how quick he was on that decision-making, it just, it was a bad game all around for him. And then yeah, Tatum, like he started piling up the numbers in the third quarter, I guess. And I didn't realize, you know, how statistically impressive his game had ended up, but I was sitting there at the end of the game being like, that might be the most forgettable 27 and 10 on 50% shooting game I've ever seen in my life. Like he, he had disappeared for much of the night and, and he had, I mean, he had one big quarter. The numbers ended up there, but like, I don't think Jason Tatum was anywhere near good enough in that game, despite what the numbers indicate. Well, yeah. I mean, in that fourth quarter, he had two air balls. He missed two free throws after going to the line when they were down 10. Like that was a really important moment in the game at which he just clanked both. I, again, I mean, I'm, Maybe it's a stamina issue. If you're mentioning it, it, like how, how much he struggled in cr- in crunch time, like over the course of the season, then yeah, I mean, and that's you know like something we should talk about more probably is how Steph's stamina is like a cheat code, and I do maybe part of that is that Steve Kerr actually is really intentional about getting Steph rest at. Uh, sort of baked in times and making sure like he very rarely exceeds 40 minutes a game so he is always fresh i guess but like if you think about how much he has to move on defense because they're putting him in screening action time after yep. time and usually he's showing and recovering on those and then how much he moves around on offense uh it's pretty remarkable that he's still able to look pretty fresh down the stretch of games when we see uh guys like tatum who you know considerably younger than steph starting to wear down also worth noting that, you know, speaking of guys looking fresh or guys, you know, whose, uh, I guess, freshness level has waxed and waned over the course of this series. Another really good game for Robert Williams. Yep. And if you want to look at kind of one pivot point for Boston or or one swing variable for Boston, like they were plus 11 in his 30 minutes on the floor and minus 21 in his 18 minutes on the bench. And... Like we talked about this throughout the series. We talked about it before the series. I just felt like he was so important to their ability to defend the Warriors. And you see they had a 93.3 defensive rating with him on, 129.7 with him off. This was a game in which the Warriors really broke through in the paint after I thought, even in the game they won in Boston, had really struggled, I think, to score inside. Like, they'd averaged 31 paint points in the two games in Boston. They got 50 in this game, and that was, like, most apparent with Rob Williams on the bench. And I'm not suggesting he should have played more. I think given the knee injury that he's dealing with, and he seems to, like, keep tweaking and re-injuring that knee, like, I feel like, you know, getting him up to 30 minutes is about as far as you can realistically push him. But I just thought... You know, a lot of that just comes down to the fact that Horford wasn't very good in that game. And if you're getting that from Robert Williams and still, you know, giving it all back when he's on the bench because you're not getting enough out of his 
I guess you call Al Horford his backup, right? Because Horford starts at the four, but also is sort yeah. of like their backup five. Yeah. Um, and their lineups with Horford at the five in that game just like weren't effective. Like they yeah. could not stop they, the Warriors from scoring at the rim. So they went completely small. To, and I know it was a bit different because they were also trying to make up points, right? They were trying to score in bunches at the end, but they did go completely small with both of Horford and yeah, Robert Grant Williams, Williams at the five. The, yeah, they had Grant at the five to close it. Again, I don't yeah. know how game much was kind of all, like out that, of reach at that point. That's what I'm saying, and I think it was just they they were just trying to manufacture as much offense as they possibly could in like a three minute span. So it was a bit different. Even Horford, man, like I can't remember who it was that I saw tweet it now, joking about how you know how it seemed like Chris Paul seemed to have lost all of his powers immediately after his birthday hit. It seems like Al Horford has almost had the same thing happen to him, at least offensively. Because he had that big game, I think it was the day before his birthday. I can't remember. Yeah, game one of the series, I think. And since then, has pretty much turned into an offensive pumpkin. With Horford, it's just the swings with him are just crazy. Like he's had such high highs and such low lows in this series, and he's a real bellwether for the Celtics. Like when he plays yeah. well, I feel like they almost always win. And when he doesn't, obviously, uh, it gets a lot tougher because um, he's he's proven to be a super important player for them. And I just thought this was one of his worst games of the playoffs, I thought. So, yeah, I think, look, the Warriors did just enough offensively. They were still only at a 107 offensive rating, which is below their average in the series, well below their average in the playoffs. So as far as like the Celtics defensive adjustments and the way they worked and didn't work, pretty much anything the Celtics have done defensively has been effective in this series, I feel like. It's really just going to come down to their ability to put points on the board at the other end of the floor like that is what has decided these games is whether boston can score or not and in the two games they've won they've scored like gangbusters and in the three games they've lost they haven't been able to score at all so if we're looking at game six and like you know their ability to extend the series push it the distance it's that, that's what it's going to come down to is like can they solve the warriors defense and i don't know i don't know the answer i, I think they will like i think they're going to push it to seven but um they they obviously need more from tatum and brown because I, I thought for the vast majority of that game, like Smart was the guy who was getting their offense out of mud. And, you know, I, I think Smart Smart's an underrated offensive player. Like, I think he's a really strong playmaker. He made some great passes in that game. You know, the, the few minutes that the Warriors tried to survive with Bialita on the floor, I felt like it was Smart who actually played him off of the floor, like cooking him on switches. I actually think Smart's a good and underrated offensive player that bore out in game five, but I also don't think the Celtics want to be relying on Marcus Smart to uh, be the engine of their offense because um, as good as he can be, he is also wildly inconsistent at that end. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to need more from Tatum and Brown. Yeah, just real quick to wrap up uh, that point too. Tatum in the finals, uh, in fourth quarters, five of 21, 16 points on 24 possessions. So his fourth quarter is basically what Steph was for the game yesterday. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's take a quick break, come back, and I think talk Wiggins. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Scores Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, well, fun. In a game where the stars on uh, both teams had their moments, but for the most part were not what we anticipated them to be, 
one all-star, and I know you love hearing him described that way, but one all-star showed up from start to finish. And that was one Andrew Wiggins, who I don't know how to explain it other than is playing with a force that for much of his career, people have wanted from him, but have gotten maybe like once a week. Even this year when he earned, you know, the controversial all-star starting nod, even an all-star berth at all, it wasn't because of him playing with a force and like a, you know what I mean? It, it was, he was just doing his job perfectly for this team. And it was it helping was them. It was some K-pop band, I thought. <laughs> Fair enough. But, but you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, Andrew Wiggins, even when he played in a way that had him in the All-Star game, was not playing like this. It wasn't like a grab a game by the guts and take it. You know, it wasn't like a put my fingerprints all over this game kind of thing. It was just he was doing his job really well as like the perfect and kind of overqualified role player. The way he is succeeding so far in the finals at points throughout the playoffs, but especially in the finals in these last couple of games. Like, I can't remember a two or three game stretch where Andrew Wiggins played with this much, this force consistently. And you see it on rebounds. Yes, he's racking up a lot of rebounds, but it's not just, these are not rebounds that are just falling in his lap or he's going to get a ball that's, you know, careening out of bounds, alpha defense. Like, he is going and getting a lot of these boards. He is grabbing them in traffic. He's pogo sticking above guys to grab rebounds. He's grabbing them again with just this force on both ends of the ball. There were so many times uh, last night in game five where the Warriors offense was drying up. Steph wasn't able to create anything and Wiggins would get the ball and just decide, oh, I'm taking this to the rack. And a lot of the times he was scoring. Sometimes he'd stop a little short and hit that kind of the short mid range and it was butter. Like he, he was making the right decisions. He was attacking with force he was rebounding with force defensively he did a lot of the work on Tatum and Brown at times like the Warriors could not have asked for any more from him in these last two games and I don't think it's a coincidence that they won those two games because look if Andrew Wiggins is going to be the best wing on the court it's a wrap for the Celtics and statistically Tatum was in the conversation last night but if you watch that game Andrew Wiggins was well last night he was just the best player on the floor period but if he's the best wing player on the court in any game, the Celtics are in trouble, and he was last night. Yeah, I I think the thing that impressed me most was like he gets to twenty six points, and he did it pretty efficiently. Like I think what did he do it on like eighteen shooting possessions? Yeah, and he did that while going zero for six from three. He was twelve for seventeen from two point range, and six of those twelve buckets were unassisted for the longest time. I was kind of calling for Andrew. This was before he got traded to the Warriors, by the way. And and the reason I think that like the trade to the Warriors was so important for him was because it helped him cut a lot of this stuff out of his offensive diet. Like the stuff that I wanted to see him excise for so long, the, the possessions where he's dancing with the ball and like meandering his way into these pull up two pointers that he'd never been particularly good at hitting. But was always taking as if he was a superstar player that his play had never actually justified. And I think what we saw in that game five was Wiggins sort of blending these flashes of the star player that he was supposed to be and maybe once believed himself to be or maybe still does believe himself to be, blending that with this great role player skill set that he's been building out since he got to the Warriors. So what we've seen 
you know, since he got to Golden State, is like attacking decisively off of the catch, working as a screener more often. I mean, there were a couple plays. One in particular stands out in my mind where, you know, the Warriors are running their split action and it's Wiggins entering the ball into Looney in the post. And then he goes and screens for Steph on the wing. And that draws two to the ball and Wiggins slips out. And he's like just inside the three-point line when he catches the pocket pass from Steph. And I think he might have taken one dribble and then finished this acrobatic acrobatic layup around Robert Williams, who was not an easy dude to finish around. And it's like, okay, so that's that's like a perfect encapsulation of like what it looks like when a, a role player plays well off of Steph Curry. And he was doing a lot of that stuff. Uh, and, and like, you know, attacking closeouts when the ball was swinging to him. But he was also able to, when these Warriors possessions were grinding down and nothing else was going on, when the Celtics had kind of like taken care of all their actions through switching or helping and recovering, and somebody just needed to go and get a bucket. So many times Wiggins was able to do that. And, you know, th- some of that just came down to shot making and they weren't necessarily good shots, but they were shots that the Warriors needed in the moment. And he rose to the occasion and was able to do it. So it's like you saw those glimpses of the player that, you know, we all thought once that he might be. And you saw all the role player stuff, all the dirty work that he's gotten so good at doing, um, you know, between like the defense on Tatum, like we talked about uh, and playing off of Steph's gravity and the rebounding, like you said, you know, going up and grabbing rebounds and traffic, bringing all of those elements together for this really well-rounded just exceptional performance uh, in the most important game of his life to date. Uh, so we'll see if he can come close to replicating that. Uh, I, I'm like a little bit skeptical that he's going to have a game like that for the rest of the finals. On the court in another game this <laughs> no. series. And if he is, well, then congratulations to the 2022 champion Golden State Warriors. And to, yeah, and to finals MVP Andrew Wiggins, perhaps. Man. So I, I I'm kidding. No, it's, I, I agree. it's obvious. It's obviously Steph. Steph should a hundred percent win it. I think win or lose. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he will win it if they lose, unfortunately, but I agree that he should, if this series were to say to end it, it, well, I would have to go seven now for them to lose. But I was going to say, I do wonder how extraordinary Andrew Wiggins would have to be and how poor Steph Curry would have to play for Wiggins to actually steal that finals MVP. Like say it does go seven and the next two games look a lot like what they did in game five, where like Curry actually, for whatever reason, just can't hit the broad side of a barn, and Wiggins is the best player on the court, and they and the Warriors win in seven. So like the last three games in people's memory, Wiggins was like by far the best player, and the last four games, he's had really good games. Like, Do you think recency bias would kick in, and the smaller media panel that votes on finals MVP would actually then end up going with Wiggins? Yeah, I'm not putting anything past the voting panel that gave Andre Iguodala exactly. finals MVP in 2015. Well, that, that's my my point is that I agree with you that it should be Steph, but I'm not ruling out the possibility that Wiggins could steal this from him depending on how these next one to two games go. Yeah, it's possible that he will get it. It's not possible that he will deserve it because you can say that he was the best player on the floor in game five. And I think broadly speaking, that is true. But he still wasn't the most important player because everything was still re- revolving around Steph and everything the Warriors were getting on offense, they were still getting because of Steph. So Who still finished with eight assists and only one turnover, by the way, as much as the shooting killed him. And that's what I mean. And that's like... Them, but yes, the playmaking and the gravity and the, the way those two things continue to also feed into each other on top of him being Steph Curry was big for them. 
that's why it's always a pick your poison thing with Steph. That's why there are no good options, right? Like I think coming into that game, he was averaging like three assists per game in the series because they'd been playing his pick and rolls two on two. They'd been resisting throwing a ton of extra help at him and basically saying, you know, you can go ahead and try and get 25 or more shots up and try and beat us on your own. And we're going to live with that, but we're not going to give you these easy playmaking opportunities or, you know, access to the four on threes that your offense typically thrives on. And they, they changed that up a bit in game five. And that's why you see him getting, you know, eight assists and like a whole bunch of hockey assists that aren't going to show up in the box score where whoever is catching the pocket pass is making the next play and something else is opening up. I'm curious again to see where they land in game six. Like, is this the new normal or are they going to revert back to something similar to what we saw before? You know, again, the funny thing about it is like <laughs> their defensive rating was still more or less in line with what they'd done in all the other games. So yeah, we can we can talk about this ad nauseum and it still feels like the only thing that matters is whether they can score enough. Um, I do want to spotlight Clay Thompson as well, because, uh, you know, the pendulum swung in the appropriate direction for Golden State in this game. And I just think he just has a real sense of the moment and a real sense of timing where I thought maybe the most important single moment in that game came when the, things were slipping away from Golden State in the third quarter. They were down five. They had missed 14 threes in a row. And it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like if things had continued to spiral, like they really could have let go of the rope and lost this game. And there was a play, basically... The, the Celtics had like defended it perfectly. It was a Steph pick and roll. Robert Williams was up at the level. It was an empty side and Steph hit Looney rolling into the empty side and smart who was guarding. I think Gary Payton, the second in the dunker spot on the strong side came over and was there for like just enough time to make Looney slow up, to make him pick up his dribble and allow Rob Williams to recover while still, you know, basically getting back to Peyton and not allowing that pass to go to him in the dunker spot. And then it's like no advantage created and it's getting into like a low clock situation. The, Steph helped create this. And this is what I'm saying when like even when it's like not Steph who's doing anything or, or he's not getting on the scoreboard, he, he's still like making such an impact because Grant Williams was guarding him and he completely juked grant williams with like a change of direction off of the ball to the point that even without a screen jalen brown who was guarding clay had to switch onto steph because grant williams had like fallen over and that left grant williams to recover to clay who was like moving up to the top and looney hit clay and grant williams made like a pretty decent recovery but clay stuck a three to make it a two-point game and then the celtics went and scored like at the other end and Clay came back and hit another three. This one came off a dribble handoff with Steph. And it was like those two shots when it just felt like the momentum was swinging in Boston's favor. I, I just thought those, those were absolutely massive. And then again, when, you know, the 10-0 run that you alluded to when Steph was on the bench at the start of the fourth, he was a huge part of making that happen. Really bad decision by Marcus Smart to try and take that charge call. Uh you know, maybe it was a charge, maybe it wasn't, but like you're supposed to be the defensive player of the year, man. Like if you if you can't guard Clay Thompson one on one without resorting to flopping, 
like and he can is the thing like he can he just can't help himself and that's part of what makes marcus smart great in a way but like in a moment like that i just thought that was such a bad decision um but then clay still had to stick the three which he did uh and you know on top of that i thought his defense was really good in this game so that was huge uh and you know whether it was him whether it was whether it was wiggins whether it was gary payton the second who i thought had a, ma- a magnificent game draymond like everybody sort of stepped up to cover for what was you know obviously a very down shooting game for Steph went 0 for 9 from 3 I think his his first ever playoff game without hitting a 3 so everyone else had to step up and they did that personal 6-2 run by Clay in the third quarter that you're mentioning was absolutely massive it could have gone the other way where the Celtics just started pulling away and blew the doors off and just that little I think it was like a 45 second segment of the game where it was a personal 6-2 Clay run and you know, to come out of that little stretch after it felt like everything was going Boston's way and still be only down one, set the table for the rest of the game for the Warriors. And it was, you know, that's the beauty of of Clay still being there and like being back is that, you know, he might not be what he once was, but the guy can still shoot. And it's he still has that incredibly quick release. And he can turn a game with a couple flicks of his wrist, literally. And he did that in game five, and it was cool to see. I also thought early in the game, not so much throughout the course of the game, but at least those first few minutes, it seemed like both the Warriors and Draymond himself really made a point of having him actually finish his roles or attempt to finish his roles. And I thought that was different than, I mean, I was going to say it was different than the rest of the finals. It was different than the rest of the playoffs, really, where he had almost become, it looked like so in his head and so shook about his individual offense that the defense could pretty much bank on the fact like Draymond rolling would never, ever, 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 ever look to score. It was always rolling to open up something else, to look for someone else. And I thought the first few minutes of this game, they definitely made a point to have him actually try to finish his roles. And he did. He had like six points in that first quarter. And that doesn't sound like a big number, but for Draymond, the way he's been these playoffs, like getting three early buckets from Draymond on the roll, even if all it does is plant the seed in the defense's mind, like, okay, he might actually be trying this tonight and have them have to, you know, have one extra thing on their mind when they're making those split second decisions that look, the Celtics are great at making, but still you add another um, element that they have to think about. It does make the job tougher. I don't care how good the defense is. So again, it didn't really, it, it didn't sustain itself all game, but I did think it was actually important in those first few minutes for him to finish and or try finishing some of those rules and and have them have to think about it. I still don't think they're going to be thinking about it too much. <laughs> like he still finish with eight points. I mean, no, I know. I, I will say so. So one of the things it did seem to catch them by surprise though. Those first couple times he did it, like everyone in the arena was caught by surprise when he actually went up for the layups. Yes, which he is definitely than- like he he has to keep doing that. Um, I thought, you know, a kind of important bucket for him was the fake handoff keeper play where he scored. And I, I don't know that we've seen him do that once this entire series before then part of that has to do with how the Celtics have been defending, right? Because they're not like coming up super high on the DHOs. Like a lot of time they're dropping back and letting their on ball defender try and do the work chase over top on that one. Rob Williams was like up at the level of the ball and I can't was it I can't remember if it was Steph or Clay coming off of that DHO but because Rob Williams was you know as part of the sort of scheme adjustment 
up that high, ready to jump out on the other side. That's what opened up that fake handoff and the drive for Draymond out of it. So if we continue to see the Celtics defend like they did in that game, that's going to be, I think, a necessary counter for Golden State and one that's going to open up some of the scoring opportunities for Draymond. And basket that he scored really early in the game was on just a straight pick and roll. And it was kind of like a delayed roll for him. And I feel like that was sort of a consistent theme in the game where one of the things that Steph had changed, I feel like, was just keeping his dribble alive for longer when he was running pick and roll, like kind of trying to probe and see like how long was the big going to hold for like, and I thought actually the Celtics made a couple mistakes where after the on ball defender had already effectively recovered, the big was still there like up on Steph. And I thought the Warriors role men did a good job of like staying in the passing pocket and giving Steph, you know, after he'd cracked open those, those passing windows, giving him a target and like Wiggins did that. Like I mentioned out of the split action, Gary Payton, the second did the same thing. Draymond, on that first play, Steph's patience in the pick and roll, I thought was really interesting. And I think the Celtics could have defended it a little bit better. But for the most part, I thought, you know, he did a good job of toying with their expectations a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And then on the other end, yeah, I mean, the Celtics, I, I think Ime Udoka would say they just need to not play like assholes because uh, that was the famous. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Steve Bulpit that had reported that uh, Udoka said after game three, I think, when the Celtics came back and won again, he said, or someone said that Udoka had told the team or like asked them, are you going to stop playing like assholes or can you stop playing like assholes? And I think uh, myself, like everyone else has been loving that quote ever since, because I think that's such a great way to put it. You know, you think asshole, you think of maybe like a team playing dirty or doing something like disrespectful to the game or something. But in fact, it's the Celtics playing like assholes is when they go into those stretches of offense where they're just like throwing the ball all over the place and not executing well and not uh, operating with the patience that, you know, Steph and Draymond were operating on, you're talking about on the offensive end. And I thought for too much of last night, you could say the Celtics were playing like assholes offensively. I said they looked drunk, but playing like assholes is a funny way to put it. Uh, They just looked disheveled offensively. I would imagine... They execute better than that at home playing for their lives on Thursday night. Uh, Regardless of whether the Celtics play like assholes or not, we will not be podcasting like assholes. We will be back for you sometime after game six. So Friday, we'll be here for you to either talk about the Warriors as champions or to tee up a game seven in the NBA Finals. Uh, Until then, Wolfon, unless you have anything else to add, I can get to... A pretty comical shout out, actually. So this person goes by the name at Shadow Monarch B1 on Twitter, Shadow Monarch Big Blue. He said, we can just call him Big Blue. He said he's been listening to the podcast from different cities in Quebec and Ontario and Canada over the years since 2018-ish. Currently in Scarborough, though. Shout out Scarborough, my hometown. This is greatest city's greatest borough. Anyway, he says uh, he listened on and off until Will Lou left and then says it's not anything against Will Lou because he still watches all of Will's content and watches the Raptors show. Uh, It's just that the dynamic (laughs) between me and Wolf Rod just works well for him. So at first, (laughs) and then as he continued, I thought, oh man, this guy really hates Wolf Rod. I might not be able to actually use this as a shout out because he got into, he used a backpack emoji and said, I backpack Wolf on on PTR. But then 
as he continued, he actually said uh, he actually really likes Wolfwand's uh, game and coaching assessments. Feels like he's always fair and informative. And also, Wolfwand doesn't miss when it comes to articles I've read from him. So I did want to get that shout out in because uh, Big Blue, as he wants to be called, Started with a bang, called you Wolfrond. <laughs> Wolfrond, <laughs> you were getting backpacked, but uh, uh, after that dramatic effect, then went into praising your work. So, did two different people write in that? E- like, why? <laughs> why am I catching all this flack at the know. beginning? Only, only know. for him to turn around and praise me. I mean, I appreciate it, but yeah. Um, well, you, you, ha- you're, you have a fan of your work in Big Blue, um, and Big Blue has a fan in me. <laughs> I'm gonna use Wolfrod anytime I disagree with you from now on. Uh, but seriously, Big Blue, we appreciate you. Uh, appreciated the the comedic uh, comedic reach out and uh, the usual call out for all of our listeners. You don't even have to be as funny as Big Blue, but if you're a, a listener of Pound the Rock, whether it's your first time or 248th time, hit us up on social on Twitter at Joey underscore double Y O U at Joseph Cacharo email Joe.wolfond at the score.com Joseph.cacharo at the score.com. Find me on Instagram, Joe underscore 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 cash. And yeah, let us know how long you've been listening, where you listen from, what you like about the show, which one of us is a fraud, all of that. Um, and we, we will get you a shout out on a future episode because we do appreciate your support. Until one of those future episodes, for Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock.